It's Monday. I'm glad you're here with us. It is 2 p.m. In the, in the St. Louis metro area. If you're on the 8.50 a.m. dial, I am glad you're tuning in. If you're in your own podcast app, thanks for d- pulling us up and getting this thing going. If you're online at kfuo.org, thanks for clicking over here. This is great. You're listening to Cross Defense. It is still true today, just as it was last week, that you have a fierce foe out there, my friends, a fierce enemy. And your only defense is Christ on the cross. We are here aiming on this show to excite your imagination, to equip your mind, and to comfort your soul. That's what we're going to do, and we're going to do it all with God's Word. And today, we're going to do it all with the same guest. The last couple episodes you've listened to, we broke it up into three different guests, and it's been a lot of fun. But today, we're going to speak with a man who's who's very familiar with radio, whose voice you know if you listen to KFUO, and he's going to walk us through our topic for the day. For all three segments, he's going to equip the mind here in this first one. He's going to excite our imagination in the second one. And then he's going to come back and wrap it all up and comfort your soul in that third segment. The pastor I'm speaking about is the Reverend Timothy Apple. He is the pastor of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas, and the host of KFUO's Sharper Iron. Hi, Pastor Apple. How are you? I'm doing well. It's good to be with you today. It's great to have you. Thanks for taking time out of your day to uh, equip our minds in this first segment. So let's talk about the last day. It's a, it's a great topic for this time of year, right? We're kind of wrapping up our church year and getting ready for Advent. But before we get there, we, wanna, we don't want to just blaze past the focus of the last day. What can you tell us about the last day from Scripture? How can you equip our minds this afternoon from God's Word on this topic? Like you said, the last day is one of the big themes for the end of the church year, which is why it's been on my mind recently as we've been going through Matthew chapter 25 in the lectionary. In the three-year series, the readings for the last three Sundays in the church year all come from Matthew 25, which is a part of Jesus' end times discourse. It includes the familiar parable of the ten virgins, made famous by the hymn by Philip Nikolai, Wake, awake, for night is flying. It's one of my favorite hymns. Fantastic text, too. And then Jesus gets to what we often call the parable of the talents. If it's one of your favorites, do you sing it every year at this time in your congregation? We do. Even (laughs) when we're not in series A, which is gets you the gospel of Matthew in the gospel readings, but we sing it. We always find an excuse to sing it because I'm convinced you could tell me if you think otherwise, but I'm convinced that we'll be singing it on the last day when our Lord returns. (laughs) I'm not going to try to argue with you. Yeah, I I, I agree. (laughs) I like it. So, so we've got Matthew 25, those two texts. And then the last Sunday in the church here, at least in this series, a, you get the final judgment scene where Jesus separates the sheep from the goats which I think you talked about with Dr. Kuntz not too long ago. That's right. Yes, we did. And he gave some some fantastic information on that text. And we'll, we'll probably rehash some of that. So as you said, the last day is on our minds as we go through these last Sundays in the church year, which is why it's on my mind. I've had the opportunity to reflect on it. And it's a, it's a teaching that sometimes we forget about in the rest of the church year, perhaps. We often talk about Christ crucified and risen and rightly so, we should. It's been one of my aims, especially in the last year with the election and everything going on, that we should also speak about Christ crucified, risen, and ascended. We shouldn't leave his ascension out. 
Yes. Right. And we, we probably shouldn't leave his return out either. We, <laughs> we, should, we should go to the end of the second article of the Creed, to the, the return of Christ to judge the living and the dead. And so it's, it's a perfect theme for this time of year, and, and it's a theme that we should keep in mind all the time as Christians, because that's where we're going. We're going to the end. There is an end in sight, which, of course, as Christians we know really has no end. It is eternal life, but, but there's a goal in mind. And whenever we've got the goal in mind, whether you know we're parenting or we're, we're working toward a, a career goal or whatever it is, when we've got a goal in mind, it informs what we do right now. And so I think that that should be true for us as Christians That's to have a so clear. True. I'm yeah. sorry to sorry to interrupt you. Okay. You just got my mind thinking. When I was a first ordained baby pastor, someone in in my family who's not Lutheran asked me if I was going to break the the mold with Lutheran preaching. And I, well, what are you talking about? And they said, well, you guys never focus on the Lord's return. Like you never preach on the Lord's return. And I, I didn't agree with him at the time, but kind of now thinking about what you're saying, yeah, we do kind of overlook that a lot. Not, not on purpose, I don't think, but we, we, no, tend no, to, we focus we so it. much on Christ crucified and resurrected. And the way you phrased that, that that's what jogged my memory. Um, but we shouldn't overlook ascension and return. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Ah. Yeah. I mean, we should we should recover all these parts of the church here that that perhaps sometimes we just neglect. And right. and again, it's not like we're doing it on purpose, but we just we want to make sure that we we get all that's there for us. God's word is full of all these gifts, and we we don't want to leave any of them behind. And so it's that's one of the joys of the church here is to is to rediscover these gifts, yep. uh, like the kid at Christmas opening the the Christmas presents. And, oh, there's another one there. And so the last day is one of those. Yep. The last day is yep. one of those. Yeah. And that's what we want to look at today. So, oh, there, there's really so much scripture that we could talk about. Some of the key texts would include Matthew 24 and 25, which we've we've referenced already right. in terms of what people may have been hearing in the in the lectionary already. If you're in the one year, you're going to hear that Matthew 25, 1 to 13 every year on the last Sunday of the church year. So you're going to be familiar with some of these texts. First Thessalonians, the end of chapter four and the beginning of chapter five is another really key text when it comes to the last day. We've been hearing that actually in the three-year lectionary right now. We're, we're running through First Thessalonians, which is, is they've just tied so nicely together. And you're going to see the theme of the day of the Lord is going to be the way that the Old Testament will talk about it. Recently, we've heard from Amos chapter five, from Zephaniah chapter one. That's a that's a great text. Hmm. And, and I mean, there's, so there's there's tons of places we could look. To put it succinctly, as I was trying to tie some of these things together in preparation for this show, I'm actually going to read part of the Augsburg Confession, Ooh, because right. I, I really think that this ties various scripture passages together. So this is Augsburg Confession. Article 17 is on Christ's return, and, and we, we confess, our churches teach that at the end of the world, Christ will appear for judgment and will raise all the dead. He will give the godly and elect eternal life and everlasting joys but he will condemn ungodly people and the devils to be tormented without end. That's that's just the first part. There's a couple of parts where we say what we condemn. But for our purposes today, I think that's going to help us get our minds going on this, equipping our minds. So one of the things at the end of the world, as we said, we're headed towards something. There's a goal. We're not talking this isn't reincarnation. It's not some kind of a cyclical thing where we're just going to start the cycle over again. We're going to the end. I think you may have addressed reincarnation not that long ago on this yeah, show. Yeah, it came up too. That's right. 
So we're going to the end as Christians. And then, I mean, just to take Christ will appear. We're, we're going to see him face to face. I was doing some youth catechesis not that long ago. We were talking about Christ's ascension, actually, and how at his ascension, the clouds hid him. And the picture that I was trying to put in the, the young lady's mind was, you know, picture Jesus going up and then suddenly two clouds sort of come together and you can't see him anymore. Well, the last day is going to be the opposite of that. Christ is going to be coming down, we're going to be looking up, and the clouds are going to separate, and boom, there's Jesus. So Christ will appear. We will see him. And and the incredible thing about this is everyone's going to see him all at once. I'm not sure how the Lord will accomplish that. Yeah, that's Not everyone sees the sun in the sky at the same time, but on the last day, everyone will see our Lord at the same time, which is just a a fantastic thing. And and so that's that's one thing. I mean, just maybe to get us started. Yeah. Christ will appear. We'll see him. That's fantastic. His presence won't just be, uh, well, I shouldn't say just, right? But it'll be more fully known, fully realized. I mean, his presence is with us every, every Sunday, as he promises, where two or three are gathered, there I am with you. But we recognize that that presence isn't in the, the full realization that it will be upon his return. And that's that, that's going to be just as, like just as incomprehensible as you as you just mentioned as you know communion we all receive Christ's body across the globe right now every altar where the 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 words of the lord are are uh, repeated where communion is distributed according to Christ's institution there is Christ's body and blood in that incomprehensible way but yet still a real way and so we we kind of get a little hint of, well, he can do it. I know. He, I mean, he can. I don't know exactly how it's going to get done, but I look forward to figuring it out and finding out. It's going to be great. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. I mean, that, that's not a that's not a bad comparison to keep in mind that, that we and this is, you know, catechetically speaking, again, we talk about Christ in his state of exaltation, that as a human being, now he's using that divine power, divine ability to his utmost. And so the fact that he's present on every altar in every Christian church in the world, that's a part of that. And his his return on the last day is a part of that. And, and a part of that appearing that we should emphasize is that this is a very public thing. No one's going to yeah. miss it. Yeah. That That's another big part of this. Revelation 1-7 is another key text here. St. John writes, Behold, he, that's Jesus, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him, all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. That's first. That's Revelation, one seven. So every eye is going to see him. This is a public thing. There's no, there's no secretive nature uh, to this appearing of Christ. Yeah. So let's, and, let's, and that's an important thing to pick up. Yeah. Very, very much so. Let's talk a little bit about that, if we could. Um, there's a lot of different understandings within the Christian Church, Christendom, right? The, a lot of different what people would think are Christian understandings of the Lord's return. And one of them you are hitting on, this idea of a, a hidden return before the glorious return. What can you tell us about that? So there's a there's a thought out there. You probably call it dispensational premillennialism. Which <laughs> a mouthful, has, Pastor. It is a mouthful. <laughs> dispensational premillennialism, historically speaking, is is pretty new. It's really only come about in the last 150, 200 years, and it's, but it's really taken hold in American Christianity. And one of the key distinctive teachings of this is that there's going to be this secret rapture, 
that at some point Christ will come, he will take his church away, and then what will be left behind, <laughs> hint, hint, left behind, that's that's the unbelievers, they're, they're left to deal with a seven-year tribulation. There's a lot of variety out there on this. Right. But that's the general gist of it. After that seven-year tribulation, Christ comes down again. He establishes this thousand-year reign on earth. There's some misunderstanding as to how that thousand years is written in the book of Revelation, chapter 20. And it gets to be a very convoluted system. Uh, we're on the radio, can't draw a diagram. But if you try to dog diagram of this, it's just really difficult. Yeah. But the key here, what, what we want to emphasize, is that there's no secret return. When, when the scriptures talk about Christ's return, he's coming once, he's coming visibly, he's coming publicly to judge the living and the dead. We'll, we'll get to that part as well. And no one's going to miss it. So, I mean, there's, there's really, when it comes to dispensational premillennialism, the two things is, one, there's this idea of the secret return, and also then these multiple returns of Christ— which almost is like there's enough returns to sell like a whole series of books. You could almost. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, left behind, right? If, if, if you didn't right. catch that, <laughs> left behind that whole series of, of literature that's out there. I think they've been in the movies. This is what you're going to hear on the radio, most Christian radio stations. Mm -hmm. That's all wrapped up in this premillennial dispensationalism. I, I think I used the opposite term there, but you, you know, you know what I'm, right. I mean, it's, it's out there. And we want to be careful so that it doesn't rob us of the comfort that's ours in the one Christ, in the one return of Christ, and so that we don't get misled into a, a false sense of security, I think, is part of what, what ends up happening. Because you're, you're looking for these signs, thinking, oh, I can pick when he's going to come. I'm good for the rapture. Hey, but if I miss the rapture, well, I get a second chance kind of thing. And, and there's a number of things— that if we can just hold onto the truth, we're not going to fall into those yeah. false teachings that rob us of the comfort that God wants us to have in the teaching of Christ's return. There's sort of two different uh, ditches that, that that leads a person into that we want to guard ourselves against. And, and you were talking about the comfort of knowing that I didn't miss it, right? Like I, I, I didn't miss out on this opportunity. Uh, it's not here he is over there or there he is over here, right? That kind of a thing. Um, so there's that, that idea that you can rest assured as a Christian, when the Lord returns, you will know, right? There's no guessing and there's no wondering, am I good enough? All this sort of mm -hmm. thing that that leads into. There's the other one that you touched on too, the other side of the coin where you can have this false sense of comfort to where you're living the life you want to live without any repentance, without any sort of remorse and, and um, penitent aspect at all because, well, there'll be a second chance. Don't worry about it. So you end up with two equally dangerous sides of that coin. And it's, it's from a lie, a false understanding of this. That's right. There, there's a number of, of things that are, I mean, we, we, and I don't want to get too far down that rabbit sure, hole, but sure. just to make folks aware, this is one of the reasons we want to have our minds equipped is so yep. that we can identify this false teaching, yep. stick with the truth and find the comforts comfort that's there. The the false sense of security that you were talking about, the prophets really hammer that home. You know, those readings from Amos 5, from Zephaniah 1, both of them really hit the people of Israel over the head and the church still today for their complacency as they wait for this day of the Lord, thinking that they can go through the motions, that they can just do what the Lord has given without any faith 
and that they're going to be good. They're okay because because yeah. they're Israel. And the Lord says, you got another thing coming. The day of the Lord is going to be the opposite for you. And and when we get to the, talking a little bit about the, the exciting the imagination, some of the pictures, particularly that Amos puts in our mind of the that terrible side of the day of the Lord, the terror that awaits the unbelievers. Oh man, that, there's some <laughs> some pretty brutal imagery there in Amos chapter five. Yeah. But but the comfort on the other side. Oh, the the images are just as as beautiful, if probably more so. You you reference the Old Testament uh, prophets and and they're preaching against this, but Revelation does it too with the with the letters to the churches, right? I mean, I often wonder if we we just don't read that book enough. You know, it says so much about how we should live in these in these latter days and in preparation for the last day. Uh, right. It's a it's a great text. As we kind of wrap up this segment, Pastor, you mentioned a few Bible verses. Any others we want to make sure we don't miss out on? Before well, we I just want to, yeah, because so, we got, we kind of got, so Christ will appear, he's going to judge, that's that's important, just like we confess in the creed, he's going to judge the living and the dead, the picture from Matthew 25 of separating the sheep from the goats, separating the believers from the unbelievers, the picture of resurrection, there will be a bodily resurrection, Jesus says in John 5, verses 28 and 29, he says, the day is coming, the hour is coming, when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, Jesus' voice, and they'll come out, those who've done good to the resurrection of life, those who've done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So that's another thing we need to know about the last day, is a day of resurrection, a bodily resurrection. That That's a really big topic, scripturally speaking. So those are, I mean, and again, Matthew 25, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, and there's so many places. When you start to we start to see it in the scripture, the hope of the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. You you really see it all over the place. I mean, we were studying Proverbs on sharper iron and the hope of the resurrections in the book of Proverbs, believe it or not. Of course. Of it's course. All it is. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be right. When you stop and think about it, of course it is. Right. Because uh, this is what this is where we have our comfort. This is where you know, this is what Jesus is all about. The first fruits of the resurrection. Well, we're going to take a break. We probably didn't get nearly as far into equipping the mind as I'm sure you have, were ready to prepare our, our heads, um, but we'll, we'll definitely come back and wrap up anything we left behind there <laughs> for a second as we come back and excite the imagination. Don't go away. You're listening to Cross the Fence with Pastor Timothy Apple, the host of Sharper Iron. Be right back. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 states, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. Sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the Spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for you. Well, thanks for sticking around, not taking off on us. We're back for our second segment where we're going to excite the imagination. And if you listened last week, you might be saying, well, wait a minute. Last week, Pastor Bramwell said that Pastor Schulteis was going to be back to talk more about creation and Genesis and what the imagination has experienced now post-fall and all that kind of stuff. And wait a minute, we have Pastor Apple with us. Yes, you do. So that means you can listen next week to Pastor Schulteis because he'll be back next week to continue that conversation. We wanted to let Pastor Apple take us through this last day, and he has all the tools we need to be able to talk about this for an hour 
And so you are blessed, doubly blessed, because that means you get to listen today and next week, which means I guess I'm triply blessed because you listened last week, if you know what I'm talking about. And I'm going to stop ranting and rambling and let us get back into the show. It's a blast to have Pastor Apple with us. He is, if you heard at the beginning of the show, the uh, host of Sharper Iron. So if you're tuning in and you're just, just jumping in, you hear his voice, it's, no, no, you got the right show. Yeah, don't, don't think you're listening to Sharper Iron. You're listening to Cross Defense. But just make sure you go listen to Sharper Iron later or uh, before or again or whatever, however that's working out. Let's excite the imagination. Pastor Apple, before we took a break, we were wrapping up sort of the equipping the mind segment looking at the last day, did we leave any particular Bible verses uh, on the table that you wanted to make sure we talked about in preparation for exciting the imagination? I, I think we're going to pick them up as we go. Okay. A lot of these things really blend together as you start to dig into what the scriptures say. Sure so do. one of the pictures that I mentioned comes from the book of Amos, okay. and this is going to be one of those pictures that's meant to draw us to repentance it's meant to, to terrify us. This is going to be the hammer of the law hitting. Okay. So Amos chapter 5, beginning at verse 18, the prophet Amos says this, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. Now here's where the picture really gets vivid. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Mm. So the, yeah, that jumps the picture off the page. There, yeah, it really does. The picture there is inescapability. You are not going to get away from the judgment that is coming on the day of the Lord. And again, as we said on the first part of the program, this is spoken to those who are complacent. The prophet Amos continues talking to the people, how the Lord hates their feasts and their sacrifices because they're doing them apart from faith, thinking that they can just live however they want, take advantage of the poor. That's one of the big themes in the book of Amos. And, and so he comes at him with this day of the Lord talk, and, and the picture is this inescapable judgment. So imagine that you're running from a lion— and, and somehow you manage to get away from him. And right as you're doing it, boom, there's a bear. <laughs> or or you're running away from whatever danger it may be. You get to your house and, and you lock the door behind you. You lean up against the wall. You start breathing a sigh of relief. And there's the snake that gets you on the hand. This is a great director. Of, this, is like a, this is like an Indiana Jones, right? Like a great director sure. has posed this story because as soon as yes. your hero is into that, that safe place, there's the jump, right? There's the thrill. The next thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The, was it uh, Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace, when they're traveling through the planet core of Naboo? You know what I'm talking <laughs> yeah, about? Yeah. And one bigger fish after another is coming. <laughs> You're not going to get away. That's right. You're That's not right. going to get away at the judgment. And so the, the picture here, it, again, is what do we do with this picture? Why does God put this picture into our minds? It is to drive us to repentance. That's the purpose of this picture, to, to see that, well, there's, there's only one way out of this kind of judgment, and that one way out is Christ crucified mm -hmm. and, and risen and ascended yes. and coming again for you with those, I mean, with the scars in his hands. That was one thing. You know, when he appears in Revelation, how do you know it's him? Because he's got the scars. And what glorious scars they are. 
one of those another another fantastic end times hymn is lo he comes with clouds descending and and you get that picture that we will gaze gaze we on those glorious scars with what rapture gaze we on those glorious scars when we see the lord but the only way we can gaze on the scars of the lord with rapture is if we if we trust in him for salvation and we throw away all of our own righteousness think think paul in philippians chapter 3 how he he talks about his own righteousness and he says that's all rubbish compared to what i have in christ and if we're going to face that day with our rubbish instead of christ's righteousness we're going to get this inescapability we're not going to be able to to get away from it god's going to find us one way or another and the terror of that judgment I mean, it's just got to drive us to repentance. Related to this Amos reading, do you find or have you found when teaching this, when, when preaching this, that, that today's Christian, even in, in our own parishes as Lutherans who have the truth and, and proclaim it rightly, that they still think it's weird that we say, come Lord, come quickly? In light of this, you know, the day of the Lord is going to be, whoo, it, you know, it's frightening. And so the Christian maybe maybe starting to slip back into the way the thinking of the world seeing it as a dark day um as a you know a day of warning they're like whoa pastor yeah yeah i mean i'm all with you but can you just slow down just a bit just a bit do you find that at all we need to be careful here that we properly distinguish law and gospel that we properly make use of the law and the gospel amen yeah that we would use a text like Amos 5 to those who are complacent. Mm-hmm. But once they've been brought to that terror of conscience that the, the confessions talk about, then we're there with the sweet gospel and the beautiful images that we do get concerning the day of the Lord. Scripture gives us both, depending on whether we're that complacent sinner who just doesn't care, who's, who's thinking that, man, I'm going to stand before God with my own righteousness on the last day, Scripture has this word of law to speak. But for the sinner who is terrified and knows that he has no righteousness of his own, well, we, we get these, these beautiful images of the last day that are intended to bring great comfort to the Christian. And, and so we, we want to, sure, we, we need, to be, need to be careful that we don't preach to Christians as if they're not Christians. But at the same time, Christians need to hear their, their sin and they need to repent. And that's me, that's you, that, that's all. And so we, I mean, that's one of the, uh, this Amos text came up, I think it's the third to last Sunday of the church year. And you get those images all coming together because at the same time you get this image in Amos 5, you get a different image in 1 Thessalonians 4. So let's, let's yeah, look at that. Take one. us there. Yeah, so 1 Thessalonians 4 is one of those key texts when it comes to the last day. You've probably heard this at a Christian graveside. I know I've spoken it. I've read it at a Christian graveside because it's just such a powerful reading. First Thessalonians 4, beginning at verse 13, Paul writes, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Mm. So 
there, there's the text. And, and of course, the, the picture that you get in your mind of what will actually happen on that day is very, very beautiful, where we, we see, again, Christ actually coming down. What are we hearing? We're hearing this cry of command. We're hearing the archangel. We're hearing the trumpet. Again, you're not going to miss this. This is everybody. Uh-huh. Yeah. The dead in Christ rise. And then we who are still living on that day, God grant it, God grant it before we finish this conversation, <laughs> we will be together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. And this is, the, this is, I think, the picture that we really want to hold on to. We will always be with the Lord, right? We won't miss it, like we were talking about earlier. Yep. Whether you've died in Christ before he comes or whether you're alive when he comes, you're not going to miss it. We're going to be together with the Lord. And so the, the picture that I, I think we can put in our minds, and this is a picture of joy— is the picture of a family reunion. Oh, I love it. And this is certainly a, a picture that I think brings those who have lost loved ones, whose loved ones have died in Christ, brings them great comfort to know that there will be this family reunion on the last day. And, and as you were saying, of course, when it comes to the, the sacrament of the altar, right. we get a taste of that. Yeah. When when there's the the whole heavenly host gathered there with us, even though we can't see them, we get a foretaste of that. And so, you know, the family reunion, and that kind of bleeds into the image of a wedding feast, which we can talk about as well, or a feast of victory. Those, those things go together, this, this joy that is ours, because Christ is coming as our, as our Savior, as the one, again, who, who bears the scars. Those scars bring us joy because we know he, he bears those for us. Our names are written in the palm of his hands, Isaiah says. Mm. And, and I mean, so there's there's the joy. When we when we know who we are as sinners, we see that it is our brother who is coming. It is our savior who is coming. And he's coming so that we would always be with him together with the whole church. That's uh, is glorious. Yeah, it is. It just takes me to I mean, the wedding feast, this picture of the bride and the bridegroom and all the people, and how everyone comes. And, and maybe we've lost this a little bit in our culture, or maybe a lot, a lot bit, really, of, of the appreciation of a wedding, right? And, and, and what that is, that moment, when you're all together, and, and people you haven't seen in a long time, you know, uh, cousins and aunts and uncles, and those who just you haven't taken the time to, to be around that long. But you're all brought together, and, and you're there in this, this joyous celebration to be in each other's company, but to be in each other's company because of a particular event, because of a particular union, uh, the bridegroom and his bride being brought together, and, and that joy that they have then overflows to the entire reception hall and the dancing and the party and the food and the whole nine yards. And what a, what a picture. And with that kind of picture, of course we say, come, Lord, come quickly. Right? Don't, don't delay your, your, your day of return because for the believer— for the one who is in Christ, baptized, who's receiving the Lord's Supper, who's listening to the, the words preached weekly, daily, hopefully, daily in, in your devotions, listening and reading the words. For that person, there is nothing to fear. There's nothing to fear. You're part of the family, and, and it's, a, it's a reunion. I love that. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you very much. Yeah, and to, to go with the, the wedding imagery, I think you're right that we've largely lost as a society, mm. the, the bright joy of the wedding. It, it gets covered up by a lot of frills and fluff 
which probably are coming from the right place. And it was my dear wife who's who's helped me, I think, to see this a little bit better because I, I tend to get a little annoyed by some <laughs> of the fluff that surrounds weddings. And I would I would reduce it to bare bones. And thankfully, my wife pulled me from that cliff lest I miss the joy of marriage. Marriage is a great joy. It is a gift given by God before the fall into sin. And and think of Maybe, maybe it is Adam's own words there in the garden that can help us understand the joy where he says, at last, this is bone of my bones and flesh. At last. At last. He, oh. he had watched all those animals go before him and none of them was the helper fit for him. But at last, here is the one for me. So that, that's, I think, the big joy or one of the joys of, of the the husband and the wife, the bride and the bridegroom, is is to know that at last, here here is the one God has given to me. Here is the one with whom I am now one flesh, at last. And how much greater then is that joy that the church has in receiving her bridegroom, Christ, because we know that that the marriage that we enjoy here is, is but a picture of that greater marriage that exists there. And so that that matter of of waiting for something, with great longing, something that will bring you great joy, the the at last that Adam speak. I haven't I haven't preached that sermon yet at a wedding, but it, it's coming yeah, someday. Yeah. That that at last, and and that's the joy of that's ours on the last day is that this long awaited promise of God is fulfilled, and now the bridegroom who we've been longing to see, we we keep getting this foretaste of his feast, and that is a <laughs> glorious moment. But now we see face to face. Think, think 1 Corinthians 13. There's a, a very common wedding text that maybe doesn't have as much to say about weddings as we think it does, but it fits. As Paul talks about seeing through a mirror dimly or a mirror darkly, and then, then he'll see face to face. And that's what we're waiting for, is that face to face moment of seeing our bridegroom. And, and what joy. There's, there's a reason that at weddings, the photographer often tries to capture the picture of the bridegroom when he first sees his bride on that day. Because that is, is, is often one of the mo- moments of greatest joy for that bridegroom. And, and I'm sure, I mean, I can't speak from the other perspective, but I'm sure it's, it's a, the, the other way around too, when the, bride, when the bride sees her bridegroom. That's the joy that's going to be ours when Christ returns. We get to see the bridegroom face to face. I mean, and, and goodness, there's there's the scripture exciting our imagination, putting putting this picture into our minds, and and bringing us great comfort. And really tying that together to to fully round out that picture that you're painting, that you started with Amos, and then now we have with the, the return of the bridegroom. Uh, for all of you, li- the listeners out there, you know this is this is our journey from sin, our journey from danger, our journey from the lion to the bear, from from whatever danger is befalling you to inside the house, but then inside the house, there's the adder, there's the, there's the snake biting your hand. And then you get to this place where the bridegroom comes back. You're, you're running away from the sin, your own sin, the sins of others, all this hurt, all this danger. And then you say, as pastor just pointed out to us at last, the Lord returns. There it is. No more danger. The, the, the concern for sin and, and, and all of the, the things that you've been running away from trying to, to avoid. And, and you, know, you, you have this picture, again, more imagination language here that Scripture is just chocked full of. You have Paul 
in Romans with the, the thing I don't want to do. That's the very thing I do. And I do the thing I don't want to do and all this sort of thing. You put this in your mind and your imagination as you're thinking this stuff through. This is, this is us and, and our awaiting that at last moment when our Lord finally returns and how, what a glorious wedding feast that will be. Ooh, mm, I love it. Thank what, you, Pastor. On, on, that, on that thought, Ooh. So Isaiah 25, yeah. Isaiah 25, 6 to 9, I think ties in perfectly with what you were saying there of the, the at last and, and those dangers that Amos talks about, they're gone. So Isaiah 25, 6 through 9, another one of those texts that you're likely to hear at a, a Christian funeral, and rightly so, you get this imagery of the feast coming together. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. None of this non-fat stuff, okay? <laughs> this is the good stuff yes. that the Lord is going to set before you on yes. this day. And and what's going to happen to those enemies that would attack you? Verse 7, he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Oh, man, mm. the, the great swallower, death, the, the enemy that would swallow us all is going to be swallowed himself, which, oh, the, the <laughs> picture here is fantastic. And, and of course, this is true because of Christ, who, who allowed himself to go into death and, and became the thorn that tore death apart from the inside out. Oh, it's, I mean, the, the image—I don't, I think, I don't know if that's Luther that, that put that one into my mind or someone else, but the imagery here is just so beautiful— and as you said, the feast gets combined, the enemies are gone, and all that's left is joy to celebrate the wedding that will have no end. It's it's wonderful, such comfort as we put these thoughts into our imaginations. I mean, these things just stick there, and, and they fill us with the comfort that God wants us to have. Amen. If that is exciting your imagination, dear listener out there in Radioland, it is probably already comforting your soul, which we will do more of right after this break. Don't go away. You're listening to Pastor Apple, and I am your host, Tyrell Bramwell, and we're talking about the last day, and we're about to comfort your soul. Be right back. Concord Matters is the program where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, Christ-confessing Concordians read through and discuss the Book of Concord, which is our Lutheran confession of faith drawn from Holy Scripture, so that you too may be of one mind and confess with Christ. Be sure to listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio or anytime on KFUO.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Until we convene for Concord again, keep confessing, church. We're back for our third segment with Pastor Apple. He is the pastor of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas, and also the host of Sharper Iron. He has done a fine job of equipping our mind and exciting our imagination with the topic of the last day as we look in Scripture and even the confessions. As we, this in the last segment, came to understand this beautiful imagery of the, the uh, bridegroom coming back and the return and that, that wedding feast and the at-last moment. I loved that connection. And it was already starting to comfort my soul. I'm sure the same is true for you as you're listening to this conversation. But Pastor Apple, could you take us further into the comforting of our souls on this topic? Sure. The, the last day is a teaching of great comfort for the Christian, as we have said multiple times. The law is there to terrify our conscience so that God would then give us brand new life and comfort in the gospel. And so it's most certainly a doctrine of great comfort. It, and it's a doctrine of, 
of great use. I would, I think I'll say it like that, that, that this is a doctrine that we can put to use in that comfort in a twofold way. It's, it is for the life of the world to come. We don't want to lose that. If, if we only have hope in this life, then we are to be pitied above all men. St. Paul says in first Corinthians 15. And so above all else, the teaching concerning the last day comforts us for the life of the world to come in the face of death. We have that comfort, but it is also a teaching that brings us comfort right now in our earthly vocations. And I think that we've seen this in the church year, in the second to the last Sunday of the church year, at least again in series A of the three-year lectionary, where you get the parable of the talents. You've got this master who goes on a journey, and before he leaves, he entrusts to his servants, three of them are named, one gets five talents, one two talents, and one one talent. And this is an enormous amount of money, ridiculously enormous. These, these are slaves. They've, they've never handled this much money. The, these are men who, they wake up in the morning, they do what their master tells them, when he tells them to do it, and then they go to bed. It's a very simple existence. And all of a sudden, they've, they're holding these fantastic gifts of the master. And, and the question is, well, well now what? what? What do I do? Knowing that my master will come back, what do I do? And, and the comfort of the last day is that I, I go out and I, I show the same generosity that my master has shown me. I go out and make use of these gifts. I don't hide them in the ground. That's not what the master did with his gift. He didn't hide his gift in the ground. God didn't hide his, his son in the ground. He, he raised him from the dead. He didn't hide his son in heaven. He sent right. him to earth, born of the virgin. Yes. And, and with these gifts, the way that our master has shown himself to be so, so gracious and giving and forgiving and generous with us, the fact that we know that he's coming back then encourages us right now in our vocations. And so you, you can see that in, in the parable that Jesus tells. You, you can see it elsewhere in the scriptures where this teaching comes up. So we were reading from 1 Thessalonians 4 earlier, and I think I stopped before verse 18, which is, which is included in the reading that you would read at a, a funeral or a Christian graveside. And that verse says, where is it? Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's what, that's what St. Paul says. These are words of encouragement to, to go about your daily vocations. Or, or perhaps even more, even more stunning is in 1 Corinthians 15, which it's, it's perhaps—well, I did mention it earlier, but it's amazing we haven't read more from it, because 1 Corinthians 15 is about the resurrection of the body which is what we're talking about here on the last day. And that chapter, Paul talks about, look, if Christ, well, if there's no resurrection, then that means Christ isn't raised from the dead. And if Christ isn't raised from the dead, you and I, Pastor Bramwell, we're wasting our time and, and all Christians everywhere we could just go home and sleep in on Sunday mornings and, and not worry about all this. Right. But, but, and this is huge, Christ is raised from the dead. And, and so he goes on to, to then talk about, because that is true, what does that mean for us on the last day and the resurrection we will receive? And he talks about our, our immortal, imperishable resurrection bodies. And after he's spent all this time talking about it, and he, he concludes that, that, thanks be to God, we've got this victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul says, therefore, so like, take all of that, therefore, my beloved brothers, fast, immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Because Christ is risen from the dead, and because he's returning to raise us from the dead, that means that our labor right now is not in vain. We are set free to be those servants who take these ridiculously wonderful gifts of God and put them to use. 
and and they do bear fruit when we speak the Lord's word, when we share his forgiveness. They do bear fruit, not always in the way that perhaps we would like. Sometimes the fruit we, we receive is suffering. We know that. We'll, we'll talk about that. But But because Christ is risen and because he's coming again, that means that our labor right now, the things that you and I are doing on this radio show, the things we do as fathers, as husbands, in, in any Christian vocation, that labor is not in vain because our Lord is coming back. Mm. You have everyone under the sun, every believer, every Christian who is receiving the gift of love, the gift of, of forgiveness. You're telling me that these are the talents. These are, this is the way we can see this is that then we love those around us and we, we forgive those around us and we let them know that where, where that love comes from, where that forgiveness comes from. And we share that. And so we find comfort in that for our daily vocations. Ooh, great stuff. So you mentioned though, you, you briefly said, and, and we're going to talk about it. You briefly mentioned, but sometimes uh, the fruit that we bear from that, the use of these talents, from the, these gifts that the, that the Lord gives us, sometimes we, you know, we always hope for it to be uh, joyful and, and just pleasant all around. But sometimes what we get, the fruit that comes from this labor is actually suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's suffering. The Lord was persecuted. The Lord was hated. And so his servants will be hated as well. They will be despised. At, at best, I think the world tolerates Christians and finds us mildly amusing. <laughs> but, at, but at worst, the world persecutes Christians and, and kills Christians, just like the world did to the Lord. And, and so we should not be surprised as Christians when we make use of the Lord's gifts, when we speak his word, when we share his forgiveness, when we love as he has loved us. We should not be surprised when we meet suffering. And in those moments, it is the Lord's return on the last day that does bring us comfort and, and the comfort of being long-suffering, of being patient. So here, here I'm thinking of some of the things that Paul writes in, in Romans chapter 8, where, for example, he says in verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Mm. So there, there is the last day actually being used by the Christian right now in the midst of suffering to sustain me. Again, that my labor is not in vain, that what I am, what I am receiving now because I am a Christian is, is worth it. It's not in vain. The Lord is is at work. I mean, Paul continues, and you get this idea of, we were talking about the at last picture. Yeah, That's, yeah. I think, here in Romans 8, too. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And talks about, oh, let's see, verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. There it is, the redemption of our bodies. We're waiting for the resurrection, and that brings us hope right now. And I mean, we could go through the whole of Romans 8. Sure. We talked about that this whole time. <laughs> and, that, and of course, you know, Paul concludes there that, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even all of those things, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, sometimes... Sometimes in, in electionary reading, they'll skip over verse 36. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. It is the last day that sustains us through these things, that comforts us to, to cling to Christ, knowing that these sufferings 
are not worth comparing to the glory that is to come. And we can rejoice in those sufferings knowing that we're to not suffer. To not suffer bears the, the, uh, the concern. The Christian might want to con be concerned with the idea that if I'm not suffering in a world that, as you said, at best is tolerating me and kind of with a little like, oh, you're cute, but at worst is trying to kill me. Uh, if I'm not suffering, the question then is, am I burying the talent I've been given? Am I burying this gift that's been given to me, knowing that my master is hard and when he and he reaps where he does not sow and all of this kind of thing that you brought in, brought in with that, that, uh, that reading? Because if we're out there using what, as, as, a, as a lowly servant that I am, as the slave, the bond servant that I am, the Lord has given me, me, little me, all this wonderful treasure. And if I'm out there using it, yes, there's going to be suffering. And that's actually going to be evidence that in, in a way, and don't get too hung up on that. Don't get too caught up in looking for that stuff. But, but there is something to be said about knowing that the world hated the master. The world's going to also hate the servant, right? That's right. And we don't want to we don't get to choose our crosses. Right. We don't go looking no. for crosses. Yeah. Yeah. The The point of the, the talents is that they are faithful. Well right. done, good and faithful, faithful servant. servant. Yes, yes. Right. So the faithful servant isn't out there looking for suffering. No. no. The, the faithful Christian is not trying to be persecuted, but he is simply being faithful with what the Lord has given. And, and is then able the to Lord see the is suffering the as as part of the fruit. The, the, That's right. The, one That's the, right. Joyful the Lord is the one who gives the cross, yeah, and yeah. he gives the cross as he chooses. And, and to some, the cross that they bear is is much heavier, and, and to some, it is lighter. And and either way, we, we join the apostles in rejoicing with whatever suffering we are or aren't given for the name of Jesus. But the point is the faithfulness. We're, we're not out there looking for the suffering. So if you're not suffering as a Christian, that doesn't necessarily mean you're not being right. faithful. Thank you for making that clear. Yeah, clarification. Yeah, that you don't want anyone listening to this to think that that's what I was trying to say. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, for sure. That we don't, just because you're not experiencing some sort of suffering doesn't mean that you've buried your, and that's, and that's a, that's a problem with allegorizing these things too much, right? That you start to make the one-to-ones and it's not like that, but we shouldn't be surprised is where I want to go with this. And I'm asking really, I'm just, yes. I'm making a statement, but I want you pastor to verify this, that we, we shouldn't be surprised that when we use the gifts we've been given by our Lord for our Lord's purpose, right? That when he returns, he gets back what was his and more, right? That we shouldn't be surprised that suffering comes with that, that we endure, that's right. we endure some hardship. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. We should not be surprised by the suffering that comes uh, as, as if this is something new. I think Peter talks that way in his first epistle, right? That, that this is something we should, we should expect again, not that we're looking for it, but that as we are making use of the Lord's gifts and the Lord is at work, right? Isaiah 55, that when the Lord's word is spoken, he is active. He is he is working as surely as the snow and the rain make the grass green. So the Lord's word is going to bring a return to him. What that return looks like, that's when and where he wills. That's up to him. Right. How how he does or doesn't give the cross, that's that's his. And ours Peter, is is faithfulness. That's that's right. Now, Peter also in his second letter that you bring up, Peter makes my mind go to different places. This is the beauty of pastors getting on and the whole sharper iron thing. This is what you get to do all the time, right? Yep. <laughs> we sharpen right. each other as we're, as we're thinking um, these things through. But 
uh, you know, he also, Peter in the second letter, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think that's where it's at, but he says something to the effect of, um, it, it's, it's better to have not known the truth than to have known righteousness and turned away from it, right? So, yes. so once, you, once you've been given the, the truth from the Lord, once you've been given these gifts to say, oh, the suffering is kind of intense, I think maybe I, I don't want to do this anymore. And, and he has a warning for those for that thought process, right? Um, yes, yes, that, that is in Second Peter 2. And, and there's also something to be said here too, then that and this could be a whole other show, so we we're, we're only going to touch on this and we'll, we'll just keep moving. But the Lord is our escape. The Lord is the one who is enduring. The Lord is the one who gives us grace. The Lord died on the cross for you listener, for you out there, for, for Pastor Apple, for myself. He died for us. So that when we do endure suffering, we we know that He endured suffering for our sake. That when we do fall into sin, and we and we bring suffering onto ourselves, that's a whole other part of suffering. That we oftentimes just bring suffering into our own world for no other reason than we're sinners. That Jesus died for that. That's the whole point of why He went to the cross to save us from suffering. That when we get to that, back to the first the second segment that at last moment of his return, all of this that you're enduring right now is done. It's over. There's no more suffering. It is joy without impediment. It is Christ's return. Okay, so enough of that. Let me well, and, and flip just this to, to Pastor Apple and, and have sure. him uh, fully flesh this out. Sorry, I, I think you were going to go there too already, but uh, <laughs> enough well, of me, so I should have said. Is, this is why... We always, as we were saying earlier, you know, Lutherans, we talk a lot about Christ crucified, yeah. but this is why. Right. The one who is risen from the dead is the one who is crucified, the one who bore your sins on the cross. Yeah. The one who has ascended into heaven is your brother who died for you. The one who is coming back is the one who will come back to show you the scars that show you his love for you, which put him on the cross so that he died instead of you. Yes. This this is exactly why we do rightly emphasize Christ crucified and why Paul says we preach Christ crucified. Yeah. Is because without Christ crucified, the resurrection, the ascension, the return are terrifying. Right. But yes. With Christ Thank crucified. <laughs> Thank you. This is the comfort. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's why it, it really is a package deal. We can't lose any of it. When we say right. we preach Christ crucified, we're saying we preach all of it. I and mean, right. we haven't even talked about his, you know, the incarnation and his birth and all of, all of those things, his baptism. We could do this with anything that Christ has done. They all come together as a package deal. And it is in this crucifixion, in his crucifixion, that we see the full comfort. What is he doing with this almighty power as he reigns seated at the right hand of the throne of God? He's reigning for our good because he's crucified for us. Why is he returning? It is to take us to our heavenly home that he has prepared for us, which which then I think takes us into where we want to end this. Yeah. The comfort that is ours in the last day is the comfort that we have in the face of death. Mm. And, and here, I mean, just as, as we said, 1 Corinthians 15, if the only hope we have is in this life, we are to be pitied above all men. Paul says, if, if, if there's no resurrection, then, then we can go home, but there is a resurrection. And that gives us hope in the face of, of death, the enemy that all would face that great swallower that Isaiah talks about. We have hope that is greater even than that. I mean, think of, think of Job's fantastic confession of faith. Isn't it amazing that, that one of the most 
fantastic Easter hymns comes from the Old Testament. I know that my Redeemer lives. Mm. And, and, and perhaps the, the, the place that we, we get the greatest comfort is, is the words of our Lord in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. That's the one who's coming back on the last day for you and for me, and that's the comfort that is ours in him. There it is, my friends. There it is. Thank you, Pastor, for giving us those goods, comforting our souls, exciting our imagination, and equipping our minds. We really appreciate you taking the time to be here. Glad to be with you. We will talk to you next week, right here. Same bat time, same bat channel, wherever you're pulling us into your uh, your eardrums from. We look forward to it. It'll be Cross Defense next Monday. Until then, Christ be with you. Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at kfuo.org.